And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. It is, of course, the week before Christmas. And all through Wall Street, nothing stirring, not even a mouse. There's nothing that rhymes with Wall Street. I was trying to actually do this the other the other day. I was gonna like I was gonna take the whole towards the night before Christmas and make it a Wall Street point. Nothing rhymes with market, so <laughs> except Target. But you know, uh, doesn't really make a lot of sense. But anyway, you get the idea. of Five days here to go. Wrap up the wrap up this week. Of course, uh, Friday's the 22nd. Monday, uh, Monday's Christmas, right around the corner. I mean, just, it's here. Um, frantically last night, finally, my wife gives, finally, my wife gives me a Christmas list last night. Yeah, so frantically getting it into the Amazon shopping cart so it'll be here before, <laughs> before Christmas. Nothing like waiting to the last minute, honey. It's all good. Uh, anyway. Get, got, it, got it all taken care of. I was, I was sweating it over the weekend, right? I was, I was kind of, man, we're running out of time here. And I refuse to go to the mall. There's just, I, I, I love you dearly, but I am not going to the mall. So you're just going to have to either get it in early or you're not getting nothing. Nothing. Anyway, um, but yeah, so this week's going to be extremely light trading volume. There is literally nobody around. I wouldn't be here either unless Brent made me. So... Um, but it is simply just that that time of the year. So again, just you know, there's a there's a real risk here of a pickup in volatility. Um, there, everything's bullish right now. There's there's no real kind of bad news sitting out there. We're past all kind of the major economic data points. We're past the FOMC. Uh, it was interesting on Friday that you know coming this this whole rally that really. Uh, you know, we had this rally in November coming off this October sell-off, um, and then the market kind of just consolidated for the first couple of weeks of December into that Fed meeting. And of course, once Jerome Powell said, ah, you know, we're, you know, the, the projections really more than anything, more than what he said, um, showed these rate cuts coming next year, and the market just took off on that. So the market's gotten very exuberant, very quick over this idea. Well, on Friday, and, and we kind of talked about this after the Fed meeting that, you know, the markets really, you know, kind of mistook some of what Jerome Powell said and, and made it a whole lot more bullish, I think, than what Jerome Powell wanted. And it was interesting that on Friday we had several Fed speakers come back out and they're starting to try to walk that back here a little bit. Um, maybe only two rate hikes next year. Uh, uh, Bullard says, hey, we're not even really thinking about rate hikes at this, uh, or sorry, rate cuts right now. So again, trying to pull some of that back because th this easing of financial conditions has gotten very rapid. And more importantly, the big drop in interest rates uh, as well. We're below 4% now on the 10-year treasury. That's already boosted a lot of people to go back out. We're starting to see mortgage demand pick up. People are going out to home shop now with cheaper rates. So you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because you know, while the Fed's talking about cutting rates and uh, and of course, if they start cutting rates, they'll have to end QT at some point next year as well. That you know, immediately everybody's running out. Well, that's that's inflationary because again, if we start buying houses and going back to doing consumption, those type of things, uh, that's going to lead. That'll at least it may not be inflationary from the standpoint that it creates a big spike in inflation, but it will halt the decline of inflation. 
And that's not what the Fed wants right now anyway. We're not, they're not near their goal yet for getting inflation back to 2%. So, you know, it's a very interesting conundrum that we're in at the moment. But, you know, importantly, uh, this market has gone very far, very quick. And we've, we've talked about this before. But again, you know, this has been a great rally. Completely reversed all of that loss that we had earlier this year. So again, from that, that August, September, October decline, that's been completely reversed now. Uh, so that's all good. Bonds uh, have also had, had a big drop. We were at 5%, you know, back in October on the 10-year Treasury. We're now below 4%. And uh, yields look to be a little bit lower this morning. So again, just, you know, this money, this turn in the markets um, was very rapid, very sharp based on this recent, uh, you know, kind of note by the Fed. But, but again, um, we'll see what happens. Uh, uh, you know, there's nobody around this week. So this market could just continue literally to, to drift up this week. It could sell off um, this week. So, I mean, I, I really have no idea where the market is. Now, uh, here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Um, this rally in the market is, is very long in the tooth. We've now gone seven weeks straight on this rally. Uh, and, and what we've talked about before, these buying stampedes and selling stampedes, and this occurs. Uh, we get these periods where markets you know, have a very, very sharp advance and these are these buying stampedes that we get. And then those buying stampedes are always, not sometimes, not maybe, always at some point, followed by a selling stampede. And that selling stampede gets overdone. Markets get really oversold. We saw that here back in October. And that's where we were talking about the rally. You know, we're, we're very oversold. We're going to get a reflexive rally at least. Uh, but then we get back into these buying stampedes. And these buying stampedes can last anywhere from 15 to 25 trading days on average. And this one's been one of the longer ones that we've seen in the markets in quite some time. So again, seven straight weeks of advance, that's great. Uh, good for markets, always, you know, uh, buying stampedes are always more fun than, than, than selling stampedes. But we're getting to the length of that stampede. So you're gonna get a correction. Now, whether that correction happens this week, next week, middle of January, have no idea. But the, the point is, is that just like, you know, we had a very similar sentiment back in June and July, investors were like, oh, this market's just gonna keep going up all year. And there were, you know, people putting all kinds of crazy forecasts out there. Um, and then you got this five to 10% correction. You're going to get a three to five to 10% correction again at some point in the coming year. Um, that's just the way markets work. So just, you know, this is why we always talk about, you know, take some profits, rebalance risk accordingly. The market's gone very far, very quick. We now have 46% of all the members in the S&P uh, trading at all-time highs. And, and so that's you know, a very large number. You're starting to get up there. You take a look at the, uh, you know, kind of a broader market. You've got some of the, the, the you've got some of the highest percentages of stocks trading at 52-week highs that you've had in quite some time, going all the way back to 2020. Now, that sounds great, right? On the surface, it's great. You have a lot of stocks trading at all-time highs. That's good, nothing wrong with that, and that is very bullish, but normally when you have very high percentages of stocks trading at 52-week highs, what does that mean? Well, it means you've gone very far, very quick in the markets, and you're going to get some type of correction. They're gonna pull back from those 52-week highs. So again, the point here, and again, I don't want to dissuade you, but every indicator that we have is ringing overbought levels. And it just suggests, now again, the, let me be really clear here. This does not mean the market's about to crash. And this does not mean that the market's about to have a ba major bear market. I'm not saying that. 
What I am saying is, is that this, this spike, particularly right here over the last week or so, is a bit extraordinary. You're very overbought. You're going to get some type of correction. So this is a great point. Look at your portfolio, particularly as we get ready to wrap up the year, right? The perfect time for this. You know, stocks that haven't been keeping up with the market, great time to sell laggards. Stocks that have done very, very well, take some of those gains. You can offset those gains and losses for tax purposes going into, into next year. So again, great time to rebalance the portfolio, kind of get your positions set up the way you want them for next year in the, you know, in the stocks, the areas, those type of things. So again, I, and, and again, if you have a lot of cash, I'd be a little bit reticent about buying stuff here, getting a little bit, you know, kind of too exuberant with the markets. You know, we all get excited when markets are like, oh man, I'm missing out, I gotta get in. You're not missing out. You know, the market is like a taxi cab in, in New York City. One comes, you miss one, there's another one right behind it. You're going to get a better opportunity to put that cash to work. I know I've been repeating this a lot over the last week or so, but this is where we are in the market. So again, just be a little cautious about chasing this market here. You're going to get a better opportunity at some point in the future. And here's the, here's the important part. This market could go up more then correct right back to where we are now, and that entry point will be better then on a risk reward basis than it is today. That's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back, lots of stuff to get into as we get ready to wrap up this uh, really kind of the last big trading week of the year because after this, ain't nobody around. <laughs> so we'll be right back after the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So uh, welcome back to the show this morning. Uh, again, uh, you know it's going to be an it'll be a very quiet week uh, this week for the most part. There's not a tremendous amount of economic news, uh, come, you know, kind of coming out. Not not any big market movers. Not like an employment report or CPI. Those are all behind us for now. So again, things are about to get very quiet very quickly on the markets, and and that allows you know as we were just talking about that kind of allows markets to do whatever they want to do. It's the inmates running the asylum. So Without any major news to drive the markets right now, the, the most likely drift is going to be, you know, kind of sideways to higher. I wouldn't expect, again, anything is possible. Um, you know, and this is always the important thing about the markets as investors. We always have to, to remember what's possible and probable. And, you know, probabilities are, historically speaking, is that markets will drift higher through the end of the year. You know, this is uh, we're about to move into that last week of the year. The last so this week is pre-Christmas week, duh. Um, so, you know, next week is that five days to the end of the year. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, as we get ready to wrap up the year, and that's that traditional Santa Claus rally. So that's the you know portfolio dressing. That's you know all the portfolio managers kind of getting all the right stocks in their portfolio, except for, you know for the end of the year reporting. And then you have the first two days of January. So the Santa, by the way, just a, a bit of cl uh, clarification: the Santa Claus rally is not just the last five days of December. It is also the first two days of January. 
is the last five days of Jan uh, December, first two days of January. That's the actual Santa Claus rally span. So you get this kind of window dressing going into the end of the year. Then at the, the beginning of the year is everybody's putting on their trades for the year, whatever they think it's going to be. So you typically get that push. So, you know, if the markets don't correct this week of some, you know, a little bit, right? One, two percent, whatever. Then that's going to it'll make it somewhat more difficult, not impossible, but more difficult at this point for the markets to ratchet even higher highs. It's very it's possible, right, that it, they could do that. But markets already very extended and overbought. So that's going to limit some of that upside. In other words, we've kind of pulled forward a bit some of this Santa Claus rally. It kind of came early because of, of Santa Powell um, and his statements at the FOMC meeting. Again, not, not there's, you know, I, you know, gotten a lot of emails over the last, you know, week um, in particular, you know, with very, you know, kind of bearish tonalities to them. People very worried that this market's about to, you know, get tripped up and fall on its face. And, you know, like, you know, should I get out of the markets, right? Because this is, you know, this is obviously unsustainable. It's going to, this is going to crash the markets. And that's not, that's not really what's going on here. We do have a good bit of exuberance. And, you know, as we will, you know, uh, kind of be talking about in this upcoming newsletter this weekend, you know, we'll have a lot of our charts updated, you know, showing this exuberance has gotten a little bit out of hand. People are, people are a little bit overly excited for Christmas, right? They're like, Santa Claus is coming. Um, and they're, they're, you know, they've gotten a little bit ahead of themselves. So that, that's what I'm saying. Some of this upside in the market is limited, but that there's nothing out there today at this moment, right? Now, this could change tomorrow morning. And this is always the tricky things about markets. Today, there's nothing at the moment that is going to trip up the market. Tomorrow could be an entirely different story. I mean, it could be headline news. It could be, um, you know, uh, an event that nobody's, you know, thinking about. And that's, and that's the important thing to remember. So, you know, uh, over the weekend, I was having some conversations with um, some high net worth investors and talking about the markets and, and doing these type of things. And, you know, the concern is, is, you know, kind of what's the risk, right? And that's, that's the big question, right? What is the risk? And, and, and see, what always trips up the markets, whether it's, you know, uh, a pandemic or whether it's a war, whatever it is, it's always something that is exogenous and unexpected. Let's and, and we've had this conversation before, but the, you know the pandemic was such a great example, right? Because we go back and we look at 2019 as an example, right? So actually, let's go back to 2018. The Fed's hiking rates were nowhere near the neutral rate in September. Markets down 20 percent. President Trump at the time is pounding on Powell. You know, I, we wrote an article about the removal of Powell. What would that mean for the markets? Because at that point, Donald Trump was all over Powell about hiking rates, being nowhere near the neutral rates, dropping the stock markets, bad for the economy. Um, and, you know, remember in, in 2018, Jerome Powell reversed course and they stopped hiking rates and they pivoted very quickly uh, in terms of their tone. Come June, they're cutting rates. Come September, 
they're doing this massive repo operation that at the time we didn't know why we didn't understand why in, in September of that year 2019 uh, we were right here on the show saying don't really understand why we've got this massive repo going on and we did numerous shows Mike and I talking about how repo works why you know giving examples of what was going on with repo but we didn't know what was actually going on behind the scenes at the same time we were writing articles looking at a lot of the data uh, for instance the National Federation of Independent uh, Pendabin, uh, I'll spit that out the National Federation of Independent Business the NFIB their data was sending all kinds of just ringing alarm bells about a recession all across their data and others it wasn't just that it was a lot of other data as well but that was some of the bigger ones that was that were out there and and there was a clear evidence that we were heading towards a recession right but while while that data said a recession was likely and while this fed while the feds back here behind the scenes doing something crazy with repo again we didn't know why everything else was fine there didn't really seem to be any risk of recession we were writing articles saying hey a recession is there we're we're likely about to head into a recession there's lots of indicators suggesting this but again you listen to the media at the time and the media was like ah pff, there's nothing wrong everything's great it's gonna be a bull market blah 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 and then the pandemic comes along and then, and so immediately and we even wrote this back in september we said when this occurs everybody will tell you that no one could have seen it coming but the data is telling you it's coming and the point of that article that we wrote then and that statement in particular was that it always seems as if no one could have seen it coming because you have it's like a fire right I I can I can stack my logs up right make my little teepee to build my to build my uh, fire to make my s'mores with right I put my kindling down there right I even, you know, I can even cheat and I can, you know, throw some lighter fluid on top of it, right? So it's all set to go. But here's the question. Do I have a fire? I have all the ingredients for a fire, right? I've got the kindling, I've got the lighter fluid, got some gasoline on it, you know, whatever. But I don't have a fire. Why? What am I missing? I mean, I can leave, I can leave that kindling, the logs, the lighter fluid. I can just leave it sitting there for days. And as long as it doesn't rain or get struck by lightning, I'm not going to have a fire. It'll just sit there. Because it misses, it is lacking the catalyst. Right? So what was happening in 2019 was is that we had all of the we had all the ingredients for a recession. We had all of, of the things that we need, we had the, we had the tender, we had the, the indicators, we had everything that we needed for that recession to occur. But what we needed was a catalyst, something to push it over the edge. And that was the pandemic. Now, nobody <laughs> was, was in, in you know, October, November, December, of 20, you know, 2019 was sitting around going, yeah, it's going to be a pandemic. That's going to be the thing that pushes us over the cliff. No, right? Nobody was even thinking about that. But that's 
what it was. See, and 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 the important thing is is that when you're talking, and this is the way the markets think about things, they go, well, it hasn't happened yet, so I don't have a recession because, well, you know, it doesn't happen. Even though I've got all these indicators that say I'm I'm I'm, you know, certainly going to have a recession. Nothing's happened yet, so you know it must must not must not be the case. It's just missing the catalyst. And the catalyst is always an unexpected exogenous event. So as we go into 2024, right now everything is very bullish. There is no reason going into 2024 to be really bearish on your portfolio. There's no reason at the moment to be hiding out in gold and beanie weenies and, and bullion, right? But having said that, that's the data. The recessionary indicators still tell you that the economy is much weaker than it seems on the surface. The kindling, the logs, everything you need for a recession is there. What you're missing is the catalyst. What that catalyst is, nobody has any idea. And it's not something that anybody's thinking about right now. When it occurs, everybody will tell you. And again, I shouldn't say when. If it occurs, everyone will tell you that no one could have seen it coming. But the data's there. We may not have a catalyst. It may not happen, right? But you have to be aware of the risk. All right, come back right after the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com and welcome back to the show this morning so just talking about a few things, you know, about the markets, again, just as we get ready to wrap up this week, it's going to be a slow week. There's, there's no real um, data out to speak of um, today, really, um, <laughs> over the course of the next few days, it's going to be pretty, pretty barren. Just one second here, trying to log into something, can't multitask. Um, <laughs> not like my wife can. My wife can do like 12 things at one time. She doesn't do any of them well, but she does 12 things at one time. Um, I'm just teasing. Just teasing. These people are really upsetting me. All right. It's not cooperating with me this morning. Um, I wonder, I was going to bring up to you this. Uh, it was an interesting quote this morning talking about being happy. It's a Wall Street Journal article, and you know the the. It was interesting because they said they went through the different kind of salary brackets, and you know somebody making, as an example, somebody making sixty five thousand dollars a year. I'm just that's kind of the middle of the brackets. They said that if they well. If they could just make $95,000 a year, they would be happy. And it's wrong. 
because it's always never enough for most people. And here and here's what happens with that is that and it was interesting too uh, uh, over the weekend you remember that last year uh, earlier this year really last year and, and earlier this year California was trying to pass reparations and they were throwing out all kinds of numbers you know a million dollars a family and five million dollars a person for reparations and you know this is going to fix all this is going to fix everybody's problems and this is always the case it never does you know if i give you a million dollars today it's it's great but if you have no financial responsibility right see the you know for most people the reason that they have financial problems is because of bad financial decisions regardless of the amount of money you make, right? You spend too much, you don't save enough, those type of things. So you're always kind of behind the curve. So you get a raise, you buy a nicer car. You get a raise, you buy a bigger house. You're, you're always upgrading your lifestyle. And so you give if you just give somebody money, right, they have no respect for the money that you give them, and they're going to go spend it. You know, there was a, a show a, a few years back where they would uh, go to somebody – that you know was they had maybe five kids or whatever and they were all crammed into this little bitty house and they would do an extreme home makeover i don't know if you remember this well what was happening is that these people would get this much bigger house and it was great right that this house would all be redone they get extra bedrooms it'd, it'd be all you know fixed up beautiful but the problem was is that now their taxes were higher the cost of maintenance was bigger. Oh, and all the money that they got put into the house was now a taxable event they had to pay tax on. And, you know, this is always the problem with these giveaways. Like, you know, hey, you're going to, you know, we're going to give you a brand new car and it's awesome. And then you get the tax bill because that's income. Well, you didn't have the money to start with, right? And so a lot of times these people wind up having to file for bankruptcy or they, they get in really bad financial straits. And it's all meant to be in, in the the best of you know the, the, the best of, of thoughts, right? You know, we're really trying to help you know this particular family, but we don't think about the consequences. And um, you know, San Francisco was was gonna do these reparations. They've had to now halt those. They're not gonna do them now because of the budgetary problems that San Francisco's having. But even if you did, yes, you would make a group of people very happy. For about a year. And in about a year or so, they would be out of money. They'd all have very nice cars and nice houses, but now they'd be out of money and would be having to sell those assets in order to pay the taxes or whatever else, or keep the upkeep, you know, whatever it is. You know, so the it's the sustainability of these decisions and so this this art this article was interesting because it's just they, they interviewed all these people and they said okay what's your salary bracket okay i make twenty five thousand a year i make thirty thousand a year i make sixty thousand a year even people making two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year would be happier if they were making four hundred thousand a year right everybody always wants more money right if i just had a little bit more money i could be happy 
but therein lies the trap, right? If you can't be happy now on whatever money you're making, that tell you know, if you're financially stressed out, just you know, trying to make ends meet, you can't save any money. This is where you have to step back and say, okay, what am I doing that's keeping me from making progress? You know, Dave Ramsey um, is got a huge following for years, right? Um, I don't know what radio stations he's on. He used to be on this radio station that I'm on, and I don't know where he is now. But, um, but he has a huge following of individuals. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because his radio show is always the same every day. It's the same show every day, call after call after call, which is, I'm up to my eyeballs in debt. How do, you know, what do I got to do, Mr. Ramsey? So, well, first thing, you sell everything that's not nailed down, right? You, you, you get the envelope system going and, and, you know, he's got all of these very, you know, really helpful, nothing wrong with Dave Ramsey. I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing Dave Ramsey at all. And his investing advice, not so good. His, his get out of debt advice, awesome, right? It's, it's chicken soup for the soul type financial advice, but it's very basic. Live on, less, live on less than you make. And it's always interesting to hear these people call back, you know, a couple of years later, the ones that actually stick to it and do it, right? And that's the problem is that most people can't stick to it because it, it sucks, <laughs> right? There's it, nothing fun going on. It's rice and beans, and you're not doing nothing for, you know, three, four years while you're paying everything off. But once these people call back and everything's paid off and they're out of debt, they're going, hey, I'm happy. Surprise. Right? There's no stress. So, you know, so as an individual, and I'm, I'm probably going to write an article. I've been, I'm, I'm debating about writing an article on this because, you know, I think it's, it's, it's kind of a good base standpoint to kind of evaluate things. But if you can't find relative happiness with what you make, just making more money isn't going to solve your financial problems. You know, there's no saying that says money can't buy happiness. That's a true statement. I know very rich people that are absolutely miserable. Now, money will buy a lot of whatever comes in second. I will give you that. But if you can't find relative happiness on what you're doing, you've got to fix that problem first and then go out seeking making more money, but then don't upgrade your lifestyle. See, and the problem is, is that it's great, right? I make 65000 and say, okay, you know, Brent, Brent makes 65000 a year. I, I actually don't know what he makes, but just assume he, he makes that. And I go, Brent, you've done a great job. I'm going to get, I'm, your salary is going to be $95,000 next year, right? So Brent's happy, right? Until he finds out I give everybody, you know, 200000 but everybody else. Uh, but he's happy at ninety five. So what is, what's the first thing that Brent does, right? Now, I'm not actually talking about Brent. Brent's just the example this morning. But first thing Brent does, he goes out and, sells his, you know, 1929 Miata and actually buys a new car. <laughs> and, you know, him it takes him and his lovely bride, they go take a vacation and uh, you know, that, you know, has long been overdue. And uh, he moves her into a bigger house. Well, now $95,000 is the same as making 65 because he's just upgraded his entire life. He's got more payments, he's got more debt, he's spent a chunk of the money. So 
he's he's not any happier now than he was when he was making sixty five thousand because he upgraded everything. So the point is, is that you know these studies are always great. It's like, well, you know, uh, corporations just need to pay people more. If they just paid people more, people would be happy. No, they won't. A couple of reasons, and you should know this already just from what we did in twenty twenty. You know, one of the big statements that came out in 2020 was, well, Joe Biden's stimulus is going to lift people out of poverty. And I wrote an article that says, yes, Joe Biden's poverty, uh, stimulus will lift people out of poverty for one year, which is exactly what happened. Because why? Everybody else knew you had more money. And what did they do? They charged you more. They go, oh, if we get people, if we get people more money for childcare, that'll help them out, right? Because they have more money to pay for childcare, so they can go to work or whatever they want to do. No, because as soon as everybody knows that provides childcare knows that you've got more money for childcare, what do they do? Childcare had a massive explosion in cost. Why? Because everybody knew you had more money to pay for childcare. So what they do? They raise their prices. Happiness isn't about the amount of money you make. It's about the quality of life that you have with the amount of money you have. And that's where you've got to start. You've got to find that there first. Learn to live that life and be happy and then make more money. But don't change your life. All right, you're right back after the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Welcome back. So just real quick, um, we've been running this ad for the upcoming event, January the 27th. It'll be here before you know it. I know you're busy. I know you've got a lot of stuff going on. You don't really kind of know what's going on in the new year, but... It's navigating the markets in a presidential cycle with Greg Valliere, and he'll be is a great speaker, really smart. Uh, has been doing kind of uh, you know kind of politically related commentary um, in the markets relating to the markets for years, and 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 just a, a very knowledgeable uh, knowledgeable gentleman. Uh, so he'll be our keynote speaker. But we're going to spend the morning talking about the stock market, bond market you know, all this type of stuff. Now, importantly, because of copyright issues with Greg, we cannot record this, this session. So the only way, if you want to see it, you don't hang around going, well, they'll, they'll post it up on the internet after the fact. We're not. So it is only live in person in Houston at Hotel Sinesta. Ticket, and we've only got seating for 150 people and, and ticket sales have been going pretty well so far. So um, don't wait around. If you want to come, Go ahead and sign up and, and get your tickets. Um, again, it'll, it'll be a very interesting morning. Um, and again, we'll have Adam Taggart here as well. Then we're going to have a panel with uh, Adam Taggart moder moderating the panel uh, with myself, Michael, and Greg. Uh, we'll answer your questions live um, as well So, and, and feed you uh, along the way. You'll get fed. Don't worry. We're going to feed you. Uh, it'll all be good. Uh, but anyway, it'll be a very interesting morning. Um, relating to 
you know, kind of our outlook for 2024, kind of what to expect. And again, nobody knows for sure, but we can certainly look back at a lot of history, what happens uh, during presidential election cycles, et cetera. So I encourage you, um, if, if you're interested, you have time. It's Saturday morning. Uh, we'll open the doors at 730 in the morning at the hotel and, uh, you know, have you out by, by the afternoon. So you'll be home in time to do whatever else you got to do. But I think it will be well worth your time if you're interested in investing next year uh, for this event. Anyway, it's on the website. Just go to the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. There's a banner right at the top of the page. Just click the banner. It says pre-registration, and you can get uh, signed up, pay for your tickets, and, uh, and get you all taken care of. So if you have any questions, of course, send me your emails. Um, okay, so <laughs> Christmas time rules. Um, this is from Brent this morning. One, do not go into debt trying to show people how much you love them. That's a good rule, right? Good rule. Doesn't work for most people. Uh, we're seeing credit card spending going through the roof right now. So, in fact, more Americans right now are expecting to go further into debt than they have in previous years this Christmas. Number two, do not go home to see family if it damages your mental health. But I live with my mental health problem. <laughs> I'm just teasing. She's awesome. If someone comments on your weight, eat them. Okay, <laughs> I'm not sure about that, that one, you know, although it is kind of like a, a, a New York buffet, you know, all you can eat buffet. You know, you go up there the first time you get your plate when you go back, there's some guy, big guy in a suit, Guido looking guy that says, no, that's all you can eat. <laughs> go sit down. <laughs> you eat too much. You don't come back. My, my one year. So my wife went to, uh, she was telling me, she's got a, a friend of hers that she had uh, been working with for years in, in her business, and he hadn't, she hadn't seen him in a couple of years. Well, whenever um, that they get together for, he has this favorite Chinese food restaurant here in Houston that he wants to go to. Every time they have lunch, he's like, he wants to go to this, he comes into town, and he wants to go to this particular Chinese food restaurant. Don't ask me the name, I can't remember. Um, but anyway... They, this guy has been there so much, the owner knows him. And, and so over the last couple of years, the guy put on a little weight, right? Just, you know, kind of just getting older, going through life, yeah. put on some extra pounds. Anyway, they go in and the owner sees him and says, oh, you're so fat. <laughs> and the guy was like, uh, thank you. <laughs> That's not the that's not the greeting you want when you walk into a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> oh, you're so fat. The phrase is well nourished. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, the headline uh, this morning in the Wall Street Journal: More Americans than ever own stocks. Uh, stock ownership by the average household is up to roughly about fifty eight percent of households now own stocks. And it's kind of an interesting um, issue. The, the number of people owning uh, retirement accounts ticked up a little bit last year, but really has been flatlined ever since 2000. Uh, the percentage of people that actually own 401k plans really hasn't changed much. It's just been kind of a, a, a horizontal line. It goes up and down one year or the next. And, you know, this is something we've talked about before. You know, uh, one of the things that people often come back to and they say, well, the reason the market keeps going up is because you have all these people contributing to 401k plans, and that's not really true. 
out of all working Americans, only about half of Americans have access to a 401k plan through their company. Of those half, only about half of those actually even contribute to their plan. So despite what we think is the popularity of 401k plans, they're really not all that popular uh, in terms of a major saving vehicle. Um, the biggest increase I thought uh, that was interesting is, is, of course, a huge jump. And, and this is really where all the increase came for the most part in the number of households that own financial assets was in directly held stocks. So you've had a very big increase um, in households that directly own stocks. In fact, it's all the way back to where it was in 1999. After 1999, that percentage fell from about 22% of households down to about 15% of households. And finally, and this only started, right? So it, it kind of fell and during the, the dot-com crash and declined all the way through 2019. And then starting in 2019, households started getting back into individual stocks. So the entire run-up, right? You didn't see households taking, you know, a percentage of households really getting into the stock market. That just happened over the last year or so. And it was interesting because this is, you know, what happens when you kind of get to these more bubbly type markets as we've been in the last couple of years. The data provide I'm going to read to you from the Wall Street Journal. The data, provide, uh, the data provides the most comprehensive snapshot yet of how the COVA arid explosion in investing has reshaped Americans' personal finances. Stuck at home during the pandemic with extra cash, millions jumped into the stock market for the first time. The elimination of commission fees on stock trading across U.S. brokerages made investing cheaper than ever. That's not really a good thing. It created a whole generation of investors. Most households own stock through retirement accounts. That is, that is a, a true statement. But more Americans in the past few years have invested in individual shares directly. Direct ownership increased to 21% from 15% in 2019, the largest increase on record since the survey began in 1999. Sorry, 1989. Sorry. Um, you know, and, and this is, you know, it, it's just that is really kind of one of the interesting aspects to what happens when you just inject massive amount of liquidity into the markets. And that's what we've done. And so we've created this, this very, you know, kind of large ownership in individual equities and, and households. And it's not just individual equities. They, they lump into that, you know, ETFs, et cetera. But, you know, this is why some of the disparities in the markets have become so evident. Um, you know, when we talk about the impact of ETF investing and the fact that you have, you know, this year has been the, the, the case of the Magnificent Seven. You know, outside of those big seven stocks, everything else really hasn't, hasn't done all that well. Those seven stocks made up a very large chunk of this year's total net gain. But that was because of the money flows into ETFs that disproportionately fund those individual stocks. They make up, you know, 30% of every dollar that goes into an ETF goes into those seven stocks. So you've created this disproportionate this, this, this disparate money flow into a group of stocks because of what we've done with ETFs. And again, there's, 
nothing wrong with that, but you just gotta gotta understand what's going on. That that you know this has really undermined the fundamental case of investing, which is oh, I buy a stock that's cheap, and it goes up over time because people buy it because of you know increased cash flow and earnings in the future, and that's not really the case anymore. Apple's a good example of this. That stock is you know you know hitting all time highs, and the stock hasn't grown revenue in five years. But it's the it's it's the big vacuum cleaner in ETFs, right? Every every you know there's like 395 ETFs that all own Apple. So every time somebody buys one of those ETFs, a dollar goes into Apple, right? And so, you know how this ends, I don't know. But what is usually the case? is that when you see this shift of households, and again, you go back to the, you know, kind of what happened in the markets beginning in 1995 to 1995, um, you basically went from about 16% of households owning at financial assets to 21%, right? It was, it was a near mirror increase of what we've seen since 2019 happened back in 1998-1999 don't need to remind you what happened next just something to think about all right wraps up the show for the day have a great one uh we'll be back tomorrow for the tuesday edition of the real investment show get by the website realinvestmentadvice.com get signed up for the upcoming summit on january the 27th uh with greg valier and of course, if you have any questions, comments, et cetera, feel free to uh, send me an email, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.